in your Bibles to John chapter 5. We're going to continue where Pastor Tim left off last week. John chapter 5. Is seeing, and yes, I have a cough drop in my mouth because I have a cough. I figured it'd be better for me to manipulate this little thing in my mouth from one side to the other than to cough all over the pulpit. So <clears throat> that's what I'm doing. And eventually it'll be gone, and I'll do my best to keep it off to the side, okay? Is seeing really believing? What have you seen in your life that you're still not convinced that it's real or genuine? What do you need to really believe that something is true? Certainly we've all been, or most of us have been, to uh, a circus. We've seen the, the man have his, his, his uh, helper. We've seen him put her in a box. We've seen him saw the box in half. And then he opens up that box. Her head's on one side. Her feet are on the other side. And we're like... But we know that she's not cut in half. Nevertheless, we see on this side her feet sticking out that end, her head sticking out that end, and she's still got that goofy smile on her face while she's doing it. I even volunteered my dear wife one day at the Jug County Fair. There was the magician. He wanted to chop somebody's head off, and I'm like, and then he, he, he got my wife, and he pulled her up there. And I knew that he wasn't going to chop her head off. But, you know, he, he had his machine, and I think he put a, a, put a watermelon in there, and he cut the watermelon in half, and some kind of fruit or vegetable he put in there, cut it in half, and it fell off. But I never doubted that he was going to actually dislodge my wife's head from her shoulders. And sure enough... He, he let the pendulum come down, and there my wife was. She was still smiling, and everything was fine. How did that blade pass through her neck and not sever it from her shoulders? Is seeing really believing? The Jews in Jesus' day saw. They saw his miracles and they still didn't believe. The children of Israel saw the hand of God after 430 years of captivity in Egypt. They saw the hand of God take them out of Egypt. Ten plagues that, that were amazing plagues. And then finally when they get out, and they went out with bounty, and they got to the edge of the Red Sea, and then they thought they were just going to die right there. And Moses stretches out his hands and the sea just parts and they pass through on dry ground. They got to the other side and the, the, the waves closed up over the army of Pharaoh and they all died. They saw, they witnessed, they participated in that. And you know what? They still didn't believe. We'll get into that later. But today as we advance through John's Gospels, 
John's gospel, excuse me. He's giving an eyewitness account. John was one of the original 12. He was an eyewitness of Jesus' works, his ministry, his life. So what we're doing as we read John's gospel, we need to remember this is an eyewitness account. Okay? But we still find profound unbelief in the gospel of John. So let's try to sneak into that culture of the day a little bit. So Jerusalem was a walled-in city. And at that wall, at certain points, there were entrances. Last week, we knew that there was this place called the Sheep's Gate, where they brought the sheep in that were going to be sacrificed. By that Sheep's Gate, there was a pool, and that pool had five porches. And there was a multitude of people that John says, a multitude of people in those porches waiting for the stirring of the water so that they would slip down into that pool and be healed. Pastor Tim explained that quite detailed last week. We don't need to get that, get into that. But there were people that had been there a long time. Now, we see that there was a man that was ill for 38 years, and Jesus knew that he had been there a long time. Jesus asked him, do you want to be well? He says, yeah, well, no, he, he never really answered the Lord's question. He says, I, I, I'm here, but I have no one to help me. And then when the water does stir, someone goes down there in front of me, and I can't get there. She just says, get up, take up your mat and walk. And the man did. Being an eyewitness to a miracle is one thing. Being part of that miracle... That's something totally different. The man got up and he walked. Yet we find that the response of the Jewish leaders was incredulous. Instead of, you know, certainly this man had, had been at that, that portico for a long time. That's what John says. <clears throat> So certainly as the Jewish leaders came in and out of that sheep's gate, they saw the man there. He had been there a long time. We're not talking about one day, two days a week. He had been there a long time. So instead of, now this man is, he's up, he's, he's, he's well, and he's carrying his mat. Instead of being like, aren't you the one that's been at the pool for Hey, you're carrying your mat. This is the Sabbath day. You can't do that. Now, breaking the Sabbath was punishable by death. So we're talking about a big deal here. But we also know from last week that the Jews at this point had already added 39 addendums unto the fourth commandment things that they considered work to the point where carrying a straight pin in, in your garment was considered work. This was all added on by men. So 
So this man immediately says, well, the, the, the guy that healed me said, pick up your mat and walk. Well, who was it that healed you? I don't know. So we find that later that Jesus has this encounter with this man again, only this time in the temple. And he challenges the man. He says, go and sin no more or something worse can happen to you. That man immediately goes and tells the religious officials that it was Jesus who healed him. Why he did that, I don't know. I'm not going to speculate. Scripture says that's what he did. So, let me share with you this morning the title of this message. And I believe, friends, folks at home, if you really listen to what John is presenting, actually what the Holy Spirit is project, uh, presenting through the, God, through the Apostle John, that you will leave today satisfied. What do I mean by satisfied? Well, yesterday we had men's prayer breakfast, and I ran into a brother, and I, I'm, I'm not going to share his name, said, hey, brother, how you doing? He says, Mark, I'm satisfied. I'm like, amen. And the first thing that popped into my mind was the song, Satisfied. <clears throat> that was actually written. Let me see if I can find it real quick. This, this is sort of out of, uh, out of order that I had in my mind. 298. So if you want to turn in your hymnal, if you want, you don't have to. 298, Satisfied. It was written by Clara T. Williams. You know where she's from? Painesville, Ohio. Painesville, Ohio. Satisfied says this. And again, folks, Listening to the message today, and not because I'm preaching it, because that's what the Word of God says. Listening to that message today, believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you would have life in his name, you can leave satisfied. Amen. All my life long I had panted. If I could sing, I could sing, but I'm, I can't, so I won't. For a drink from some cool spring that I hoped would quench the burning of the, the thirst I felt within. See, you know, I do this even during Sunday school. I squint, and my glasses are right here. Let me just pop those on. Okay. Hallelujah, I have found it. I have found him whom my soul so long has craved. Jesus satisfies my longing. Through his blood, I am now saved. <clears throat> feeding on the husks around me till my strength was almost gone longed my soul for something better only still to hunger on well of water ever springing bread of life so rich and free untold wealth that never faileth my redeemer is to me hallelujah I have found him whom my soul so long has craved 
Jesus satisfies my longings. Through his blood, I am now saved. Friends, <laughs> I hope you leave satisfied. But it's going to take what? Believe. Believe. The enemy of faith, a hardened heart of disbelief. What's going to rob you of being satisfied? A hardened heart of unbelief. What more do you need to believe? Let's remember the purpose of this gospel. It's been stated several times since the beginning, since the inception of when we began preaching out of John it's at chapter 20, verses 30 to 31. Therefore, many other things, many other signs, Jesus also performed in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these have been written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you might have life in his name. These if we carry it all the way to the end, John is going to list seven distinct miracles that Jesus did for a purpose. He did many other things. If we go to the end of the book, he says if, if everything that Jesus was done, has done was written, I don't even think the world could contain all those books. That's what he said. So the Holy Spirit chose seven. And these seven are enough for you to believe that Jesus is the Christ the anointed one, and that by believing, you would have life in his name. We often say seeing is believing, but in today's society, with technology the way it is, with computer-generated imaging and Photoshopping and all that, seeing is no longer believing. I'm a big uh, Marvel fan. I like the Marvel movies. Captain America, that first Captain America movie, did you ever wonder how did they make that skinny, scrawny Steve Rogers? I'm like, did they get a, a guy that looks a lot like Steve Rogers? Or, or how did they do that? And so I had to look it up and find out. Who knows what I'm talking about? I, I hope I'm not in, gay hey man, there's Marvel fans, yes. Okay. That little skinny, scrawny Steve Rogers was actually Chris Evans. That was him. They used computer technology to shrivel his face up, and they put his head on a skinny guy's body, and they made it look real. And they elevated the, the platform around him because he, Steve Rogers, Captain America, is probably 6'3", six, 6'4". Six, the little scrawny guy was like 5'10". So they elevated the, the walkways around Steve Rogers so that everyone that passed by him was taller than him. And they actually gave, uh, they, they put points of reference so that Steve Rogers would, instead of looking at someone's eyes, he would look up like that. The people that communicated with him would look down like that. It was all staged. It wasn't real, but it sure looked real. It sure looked real. This guy was fooled. However, in Jesus' day and before with the works of God according for the children of Israel, 
Seeing was believing. There was no photoshopping. There was no computer-generated images of, of, of God parting the Red Sea. He did it. And he did it that you would believe. And that by believing, you would have life in his name. John's point. Jesus is the son of God. Jesus is the Christ, the son of God. And that by believing, you would have life in his name. John uses four specific uh, evidences. Excuse me here. My computer went to sleep. Technologia. Four, four, four specific images. First of all, or evidences. <clears throat> First of all, we see that Jesus' is, his deity is, is evidenced by his miracles. Okay? We find in, in chapter 2, he changed the water into wine. In chapter 4, he, he healed the royal official's son. In chapter 5, last week, we saw that he healed the man that had been sick for many, many... He was sick for 38 years. He had been at the pool for many years. So that's evidence number one, his miracles. Evidence number two is his claim. So let's go, and I hope that you're there in, in uh, John chapter 5. So I'm going to read the passage, and then we're going to start dissecting the passage to the end, bringing you to the point of being satisfied. For this reason, I'm starting at verse 16, chapter 5, verse 16 of the Gospel of John. For this reason, the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But he answered them, My father is working unto now, and I, and I am working. For this reason, the, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he also was calling God his Father, making himself equal with God. Therefore Jesus answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something that he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself is doing, and the Father will show him greater works than these, so that you will marvel. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son also gives life to those whom he wishes. For not even the Father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the Son, so that all will honor the Son, even as they honor the Father he who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but is passed out of death into life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour, an hour is coming, and now is, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For just as the Father has life in himself, even so 
he gave to the Son also to have life in himself. And he gave him authority to execute judgment, because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in their tombs will hear his voice and will come forth, those who did good deeds to a resurrection of life, and those who committed evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. Let's pray. Lord God in heaven, I come before you this morning begging you, Lord, to allow me to communicate your word, what you want these folks to hear. Lord, I pray for those hearts that they would be prepared, that they would be softened, (coughs) that they would be humble, that they would be ready, Lord, to receive your word, to believe, and that by believing that they would have life in Christ. This I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So here we have his claim. First, he he healed by the spoken word. He said, get up, take up your mat and walk. He didn't touch the man. He didn't make a paste and, and rub it on the man. He just spoke. And the scripture says, for this reason. John states, really, at this point in in Jesus' ministry is the beginning of the persecution from the Jews of Jesus. Right here in verse 16. The Jews are persecuting Jesus. This verse in John marks the beginning of the persecution which Jesus received from the Jewish leaders. It is at this point in Jesus' ministry that the Jewish opposition against him really begins to mount. They began to persecute him. That word persecute means to pursue after. To pursue after. When I think of pursuit, I can't help but think, but a a policeman that's pursuing a, a perpetrator, whether it's in an automobile or whether it's on foot, the police pursues that perpetrator in order to catch him. A lion pursues its prey in the jungle in order to catch and eat. The Jews were pursuing Christ, and they weren't pursuing him to believe on him. They were pursuing him to squelch him out and stop his message. Here's where it begins. Because he was doing these things on the Sabbath, it says. Jesus himself didn't violate the Sabbath. He just said, get up, pick up your mat and walk. He didn't violate the Sabbath, but yet we see in the, in the grammar here, it's he was doing these things. So obviously prior to this, he had been doing things on the Sabbath. So we see these these claims. The claim now in verse 17 is that he says, My father is working until now, and I myself am working. Jesus declares a unique relationship with God. He calls him his father. This is the second time that Jesus has called God his father. The first time was when he was cleansing the temple, 
You shall not make my father's house a house of merchandise? No, I don't know why that, maybe that got lost in the commotion. I don't know, but this is the second time. And the Jews know exactly what he was saying. How do we know that? By the way they responded. Not only was God his father, but he said that his father was working. And at this point, the grammar indicates that, that it was linear action, which means that Jesus, that, that the father was working <coughs> even now through the Sabbath. And hence, because of that special relationship between God the Father and God the Son, Jesus was working as well through the Sabbath. So then we see in verse 18, this was something premeditated because the scripture says, for this reason, therefore the Jews were seeking all the more. To what? What's it say? To kill him. To kill him. They were seeking all, he just called, not only is he doing these things on the Sabbath, but he just called God his father. And they sought all the more to kill him. We call this premeditated. So Jesus's Deity, because what when, actually when we say that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, we're actually referring to his deity, that Jesus is God in human flesh. That's what we're referring to. So his deity has been evidenced by his miracles and by his claims, and now by his power. Look at verse 19. Therefore Jesus answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself, unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For, for whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. That's important. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself is doing, and the Father will show him greater works than these, so that you may marvel. Just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son also gives life to whom he wishes. Jesus did not work independently of the Father. To illustrate that close bond that he shared, whatever the Father was doing, wherever the Father was working, the Son was there, he was working, and he was doing as well. And... And he did it in like manner. He did it in like manner. Who else could do the works of God in like manner save God himself? Right? So what the father did, the son did. And he did it just like the father. And the Son will do even greater works so that men will marvel. When we get to chapter 11, 
okay, this man, he, so Jesus turned the water into wine. He healed the, the royal official's son. Now he just healed this, this man who had been sick for 38 years. We're going to see other things. We're going to get to chapter 11, and he's going to raise somebody from the dead. Greater than this, things greater than this, the son's going to do so that you would marvel. Is it just to marvel? No, friends, don't forget the point. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you would have life in his name. If you do not believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, you do not have life. You don't. You're spiritually dead. And if you die in that condition, that's it. I'll get there. Now, his claim of power becomes even stronger with the next statement in verse 21. He says, For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so. So look at the just as, even so. Just as the Father does it, even so the Son does it. Who can do that? Just as, even so. The Son also gives life to whom he wishes. Who can give life? Who can give life? Who spoke and it came into being? John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4 says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He, the Word, was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, the word. And without him, the word. Nothing came into being that has come into being. And in him was life. And the life was the light of men. Jesus says, whoever the son decides to give life to will receive life. Just as the father does it, the son does it. In like manner. These claims were outrageous to the Jewish leaders. They were outrageous. Because Jesus was now claiming to do only what God himself can do. Who can give life but God himself? So we saw his mere evidence, his, his, his deity is evidenced in his miracles and his claims and his power. And now they're evidenced, it's evidenced, excuse me, in his authority. Verses 20 through to 22 to 30. Look at verse 22. Not even the Father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the Son. My friends, when we talk about eternal judgment, guess who has the final say? Jesus. Final say. Maybe someone here is, is the owner of their business or you're the, the CEO of a company and you have the final say. Well, cool. Jesus has the final say. When it comes to eternal destiny, Jesus has the final say. And there's no undoing that. There's no computer-generated image that's going to help you with that. 
he has, a, his, he has the authority to be honored in verse 23. So that all will honor the Son. There's those two words that are very important again. Even as they honor the Father. The Father share his, shares his glory and shares his honor with nobody. But since the Son is God in human flesh, he shares the same honor. Folks, the Jewish leaders knew what he was talking about. They wanted to kill him. He's claiming to be God. He's claiming to be equal with God. Because, let me, let me back up here, so that all who honor the Son, even as they honor the Father, he who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Why? Why is that like that? It's because they are, they are united in nature, they're united in essence, they're united in substance. Denying Christ is denying the Father who sent him. And he has authority to give eternal life. Truly, verse 24, truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment but has passed from death to life. He who hears my word and believes on him who sent me has eternal life and has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say uh, to you, an hour is coming, and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. These dead are spiritually dead. They're not physically dead, because we're going to deal with that in a couple verses later. He's talking about right now, how do we, he says, an hour is coming and now is. And now is. When the dead, the spiritually dead, that's, that's anyone who has not repented of their sins and placed their faith in Jesus Christ, they are spiritually dead. All of you who have placed your faith in Christ, at one point you were spiritually dead. I was spiritually dead prior to December 12th, 1981. I was spiritually dead. But through repentance and faith, he gave me life. He gave you life. For, it says, for just as the Father has life in himself, even so, there it is again, just as even so, for just as the Father has life in himself, even so he gave the Son also to have life in himself. So he has the authority to judge. He has the authority to be honored. He has the authority to give eternal life. And he has authority over the resurrection. Some to life, some to judgment. 
It says, and he gave him authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming, okay? An hour is coming. This will be future. He didn't say an hour is coming and now is. He says an hour is coming. Now watch. In which all who are in their tombs will hear his voice and come forth. Those who did good deeds to resurrection of life and those who committed evil deeds to resurrection of judgment. It's not, we're not getting judged by our deeds, folks. That's not what the scripture teaches. The idea is here, those who did good as evidence of their faith and those who did evil deeds as evidence of their unbelief. Understand? For by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. There is no contradiction in the word of God. What Jesus is talking about here, these people, they had faith, and their lives were, 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 were manifesting the evidence of their faith. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him in righteousness. He credited to him as righteousness. He believed, and it was evidenced by the way he lived. This is what Jesus is referring to. Let me read it again, keeping that in mind. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come forth. Those who did good, I'm sorry, those who did good deeds to a resurrect, resurrection of life and those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. And friends, Jesus' word is the final word. In conclusion, so the fact that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, has been evidenced in this section by his miracles, by his claims, by his power, by his authority. What more do you need? What more do you need? It's all been laid out before you. The evidence, his miracles, his claims, his power, his authority, it's all been laid out. What more do you need to believe? You're at the point where you either deny it or you accept it. Let me close with this. Psalm 95, verses 8 through 11. You can go there or you could listen. I would prefer you just listen so you don't get lost while you look. Do not harden your hearts as in Meribah, as in the day of Massa in the wilderness. When your fathers tested me, this is Jehovah God speaking in the psalm, they tried me, though they had seen my work. Like I stated before, friends, they saw his miracles. They saw the plagues, they crossed through the Red Sea on dry ground. The army of Pharaoh was swallowed up in the sea. God provided for them for 40 years bread from heaven, day after day after day for 40 years. He provided a multitude of quail around their feet so that they could eat. For 40 years, their shoes didn't wear out and their clothes didn't wear out, and they still grumbled. 
So, it says, they tried me, though they had seen my work. Now listen to this. This is, this is amazing. For 40 years, I loathed that generation because of their unbelief. God loathed that generation and said, they are people who err in their heart. They do not know my ways. Therefore, I swore in my anger, truly, they should not enter into my rest. Don't let a hardened heart of unbelief deny, friends, what has been laid out in front of you. That Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you would have life in his name and you could leave satisfied. Amen. Let's bow our heads. I ask you, The evidence is clear. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Are you ready to believe on him? Are you ready to believe on him? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I am going to ask you to pray. In your own words, something like this. Lord, now I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God. And I repent of my sins. And I place my faith in your son who died for me. That I might have eternal life. Brother and sister in Christ. I challenge you as well. When we seek to make disciples... Let us point them to Christ at all times. Let us present Christ as the scripture presents Christ. A God that does miracles. A God that claims to be God. Who has the authority and the power of God. That is Jesus. Help us present him as the scriptures present him so that he would be honored and glorified. Now, if you're here today and you've never repented of your sins, again, I, I, I pray that, that you've seen enough, the evidence is clear, and you're ready to repent and believe. If you've done that, if, if you might have prayed that prayer in your own words, would you please raise your hand? Even raising of your hand doesn't make it valid. It's got to be a condition of the heart. Lord, I pray that those who've heard your word today have had their hearts pierced with the truth that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing they would have life in his name. This I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.